Welcome to another episode of Rewired Podcast. I'm Bailey. And I'm Kelly. And today we're talking about Pascal's Wager. Yeah, we're going to talk about um, a piece of philosophy from Pascal, which is kind of related to belief and disbelief. And go ahead. Well, I was going to say, let's listen to the clip. Yeah, well, so there's uh, a moment when Burrell is talking about um, the gods, and this is Baltimore, the gods will not save you. So let's listen to that clip. You have on this job, if the felony rate doesn't fall, you most certainly will. The gods are fucking you, you find a way to fuck them back. It's Baltimore, gentlemen. The gods will not save you. So, Pascal's Wager is about God. So why don't you explain it to us, Cal? Okay, and so, I mean, I'll just say first that that scene has kind of inspired this episode because we want to talk about, you know, who in The Wire believes or doesn't believe and, and what does it get them in the end. So, And this kind of relates to our other podcast where we talked a lot about um, sort of biblical allegories and just sort of in general that if we believe that the game and the system is the ultimate deity. Yeah, or is there some kind of saving power higher than the game? So Pascal's Wager, um, what it is is it's a... I guess the sort of thought experiment. So um, Pascal argue that, argues that a rational person should live as though God exists and seek to believe in God. Okay, who's Pascal? Okay, Pascal is a mathematician and philosopher from the 17th century. Okay. So he says a rational person should live as though God exists because such a person will only have a finite loss if God does not exist, whereas... If he does exist, they stand to receive infinite gain and avoid infinite loss of health. Hmm. Um, so what he says is, let us weigh the gain and the loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate these two chances. If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation that he is. There is here an infinity of an infinitely happy life to gain, a chance to gain against a finite number of chances of loss, and what you stake is finite. And so our proposition is of infinite force when there is the finite to stake in a game where there are equal risks of gain and loss and the infinite to gain. So this is interesting because generally when people talk about faith and belief, it's sort of an irrational argument. You very rarely hear ration not ration, rationale applied to believing in God. Yeah, that's definitely true. So let's think about who we see in the wire that do believe uh, in something outside of the game. They're, they're risking something beyond their system. Okay, so we're thinking about, instead of God necessarily, we're thinking of the system as God. Do you believe in the system or do you not believe in the system? Yeah. Or do you buck the system to try to save it? Okay. Hold on. (laughs) What? Why are we talking about bucking the system to save it? That's not what Pascal is saying, right? (laughs) I feel like, like, if this is the analogy, the game is Earth. Okay. 
God is above it. Okay. And so they're going above and beyond the system in whatever way they have because they believe that there's something. Okay, great. We're going to keep that in because I feel like that explains it. Okay. <laughs> okay, so first character, I think, is Bunny Colvin. Yeah. We see that Bunny Colvin several times shows a desire to, to work outside the system wagering that there is something better. And the first system he starts in is, of course, the police. Yeah, and so he starts Hamsterdam. And in fact, he's actually on the receiving end of that Burrell quote, when Burrell says, the God, if the gods are fucking you, you fuck them back. This is Baltimore, the gods will not save you. Burrell is the one, or sorry, yeah, Burrell is talking to Bunny Colvin when he says that, and that is what leads him to start Hamsterdam. Yeah, and for a while, there is um, quite a bit of, of gain for Bunny Colvin. Um, his crime rates are going down. Um, there's that one scene where the experts are saying from like a public health perspective, it's really good. Mm -hmm. um, but he ends up getting fired. And what's interesting about that, too, is that the, the way that they're traditionally like dealing with the system is to juke the stats. But Bunny Colvin will not juke his stats. He says, give them the honest numbers, the real numbers. And he's even showing photographic evidence in his presentation to sort of lead up to Hamsterdam's reveal. Yeah. So he is not, he won't work within the system, even though that, like, isn't necessarily a legitimate system. He won't do that. He wants to do something bigger. And, of course, you're right. He does get fired. Yeah. So, then, yeah. So he... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so then he moves into the school system as a um, a counselor on this special program. Well, but first he goes to his security job. Well, he loses that job. Right, but we didn't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but for the same reason, he loses the security job because he refuses to act illegitimately in that position. So when... The prostitute robs that guy, and then the John beats her up. He goes to arrest the John, even though the hotel owner says, no, we can't do this. He's a really important customer. Like, we yeah. have to just overlook it. But Bunny believes in doing what is right, not what is appropriate, we could say. Or what is asked of him. Yeah, like, it's almost helpful to think in this, um, in this analogy that... Pascal's God here is like a higher ideal. Okay, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And so Bunny believes in the higher ideals, and so then he loses the security job. Right. So then he goes to the school system. Yes. Now, what's interesting is should we talk a little bit about that loss versus gain at this point? Sure. So at this point now, by choosing to believe in the higher ideal, he has lost over and over. Yeah. So Pascal could be proven incorrect. But in the school system, he does get the infinite gain because we could argue that he gains another son, uh, Naaman. Well, and, his only son, right? No, he has other kids. Oh, okay. Um, but they're all grown up and gone. So this is like yet another, you know, sort of child that he can support yeah. in the community. And I would say that that is then... What Pascal is arguing is your infinite gain. 
Well, and also that he makes the case for this special program and proves how worthwhile it is. Yes. Although he ends up even losing the program. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. But he does gain name and end, I mean... I think in a lot of ways, having children, I mean, isn't that the point of existing, that we have children to sally forth with our... Well, I don't know (laughs) if we want to argue what the purpose of existing is on this podcast. Okay, but I mean, I think that having Naaman could be then possessed as an infinite gain. Yes. Okay. Now, he's really the only one that does achieve infinite gain in this wager. Yeah, because the other characters that we see um, working towards a higher ideal end up losing a lot. That's true. So what's another character? Okay, so another character is Frank Sabatka, and we see him trying to save the port system, which is on a serious decline, um, by, like, you know, getting money for city councillors and stuff like that, and... That leads to his downfall, which we've talked about on this podcast a lot. Yeah, and I think he really—they really make it clear that he is trying to to save the system. Like he has that epic speech uh, with the the lobbyist guy. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Where he says to make shit in this country. Yeah, why don't we? Let's watch it. Let's let's. Thanks for waiting, Brucey. Like Frank, I shouldn't even be seen with you at this point. I just want to settle our business while we still have the chance. Frank. Because ain't like I'm going to get my hands on a whole lot more cash for obvious reasons. Frank, the Grain Pier is dead. Half the votes we had lined up are walking sideways now. They read the paper, Frank. So what? So I'm dirty. The Grain Pier's still the Grain Pier, right? They ain't voting for me, Brucey. It ain't about me. I'm not going to lie, Frank. No one is going to stand with us now that the FBI is on you. They're scared. Of what? They took the money, Frank. And now they deliver the votes, they figure the feds are going to be on them too. I'm sorry, Frank. Look, you, f- you find a way of uh, putting this FBI thing to bed and then maybe we can come back the next session with the Grain Pier. All right, you'll have a couple of people down there knowing they owe you a vote or two. I don't know what else to say. I don't. Sorry, Frank. You know what the trouble is, Brucey? We used to make shit in this country, build shit. Now we just put our hand in the next guy's pocket. It's a great scene. So epic. Um, there's another scene that we should watch, which is when he talks to Beatty and says he knew I was I knew I was wrong, but I thought I was wrong for the right reasons. Okay, let's listen to that one. Okay. My pal Beatrice. Was she gonna run me in again? Isn't that like double jeopardy or some shit? Stop it. Just stop it. Talk to me. And say what? I'm sitting here trying to figure it out myself. Didn't happen overnight. I knew I was wrong. But in my head, I thought I was wrong for the right reasons, you know? They're different kinds of wrong. 
What are you doing here, B? I'd like you to come in. Not in cups. Because you want to. I'm opening a door here, Frank. Yeah, so I think, you know, David Simon really pushes us to believing that Frank Sabodka is kind of the patron saint of the docks. And though he is not doing any everything in, you know, these correct or legitimate ways, he is doing it because he believes in the system. No. He's, no, he's, right. <laughs> he believes in the spirit of, of the, the docks. And he not challenges in the, the system. Right, because like when they're showing him about the technology and yeah, the future. in Rotterdam. He calls it a horror story. Yeah. Um, okay, so and you're right, he does experience just the final loss. And then there's, of course, Stringer Bell. Who believes that the game can get him to a level of legitimate businessman, condo developer. Yeah. And, you know, we see him, too, arguing with his, like, crews that, uh, no, we're not, you know, like, in the coffee shop. He, yeah, the coffee shop. He, he, they're like, why do we even care if we're out of paper? And he's like, no, we're not running this like a front. This is a real business, and we're going to really serve our customers. Yeah, yeah. So he refuses to let the game take over. And his loss is material as well because he gets swindled out of all his money not all of it but a lot of it by clay davis yeah. who one could argue is a believer of the system yeah deeply and does not want that system to change exactly stringer kind of represents this sort of you know nouveau american dream though can you do bad to attain selfish good yeah, it's that whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps thing. And it's like, well, how should I? What are the bootstraps? Is it legitimate or illegitimate? Yeah. All right. And then, of course, there's McNulty. Yeah. And McNulty, as we've seen time and time again, is always working against the system for his own purposes. But he's doing it because he wants to catch criminals. Yes, so he is one of those, well, he's not unlike uh, Bunny Colvin in that way, where he is existing in this system. Well, they kind of talk about it in the show, too, where they talk about who's real police. Yeah. And to me, that really means more than just, like, who's good at their job, but who's in the policing game because they actually want to create societal change and yeah. make this world a better place. And they often contrast that with, like, what they call the company men or the career men who are just trying to like move up in their rank right make rank be house cats yeah yeah so those are some of the characters that we've said you know are do believe in something bigger than the systems they exist within now what about those who don't who are the who are the characters who choose to just believe in the system itself yeah, well, and these are also kind of depressing, but uh, Bodhi. Yeah. Bodhi is like, the game is the game. It's not going to change. He doesn't like what he sees changing with the when Marlo rises. Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk about that? Yeah, he definitely doesn't, like, he's not in it for any sort of noble reason, the game, but he believes that it exists and that's the way it should be played. So when Marlo starts 
to break rules and to act outside of, I guess you could or argue, like the moral compass of the game, Bodhi is deeply offended and disturbed. Yeah. And it's not because he believes in something bigger than the game. It's because he believes in the game. And because he won't change, that's how he ends up getting killed. Because he won't leave his corner. That's right. And he won't adjust to the new king of everything. Yeah, the new style. The Marlowe style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's Omar. Omar also has a really strict belief in the system and the game and that there's rules to that and that there's really no working outside of it. And Omar experiences maybe one of the most profound infinite losses in my mind. Or I, is it? Yeah, it's an infinite loss in that he is killed so unceremoniously. Yeah. In that, like, that final scene with, scene with him in the convenience store where I think, is it Kennard that shoots him? I feel like that's a... It's Kennard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and Kennard just shoots him from the back. You know, that's against the rules. You should face someone when you're about to kill them. Yeah. Look at the way he, like, when Omar goes to kill Brother Muzon, he faces him. They talk about it. Mm-hmm. Now, ultimately, he doesn't kill Brother Muzon, but he, you know, that's the way that he should have been killed. He should have gone down in a blaze of glory, one yeah. could argue. Well, and we also see when Omar says, like, never on no Sunday, like, he believes in that, and he's really upset that the Sunday truce gets broken and they chase after his mom. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, for him, I think that uh, wager, he believes very much in the game, but then in the end, he just... Loses. Loses. Yeah. Okay, so another firm believer in the game, Avon. Yeah, He's, who, of course, contrasts with Stringer. Yeah, Avon's very traditional and doesn't want anything to change. And they, he and Stringer even talk about that. When Stringer says, what do you want to be? Who are you? What are you doing? Yeah. And Avon says, I'm just a gangster, I suppose. Well, and there's some great scenes, a lot like that, through the course of season three, when you start seeing that fracture between Avon and Stringer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really sort of contrast one another in this sense of, is there something bigger than the game? And, of course, Stringer is always arguing that, yes, there is. We can get out of this. Uh, he, you know, when he brought, buys the condo and he tells Avon, we're making enough legitimate money. This condo is in your name. Yeah. All of it's, like, legit. We can show this kind of money now. But Avon is always wanting to retreat to the traditional game. Yeah. Yeah. Where he just doesn't. Well, and he... He loses. He ends up going to prison. Yeah. And... I mean, at least he doesn't lose his life. But in my mind, Bodhi... Well, maybe not Bodhi, but Omar and Avon both lose in the way that they... Their character doesn't deserve, right? Because, like, um, Avon probably would find it honorable to die in a blaze of glory shooting out with Marlo for a corner in the way that Bodhi did yeah instead of just Just, hanging out in prison right and that kind of um also makes me think of that scene where he's with his uncle the uncle that's in like the palliative care home or the nursing home or whatever it is yeah 
and D'Angelo doesn't like to go there. And that it's never really touched upon again, but that uncle is existing in limbo, right? Yeah. Because yeah. he was just a little too slow, just a little not on his game that day. And now this, you know, powerful gangster figure is living in a nursing home where he needs to be cared for every single day. And I think that for Avon, that's probably the most infinite loss. Yeah, that existing could be, in the that's limbo. like the worst that could happen. Yeah, exactly. Whereas if he had just died, even in the way that Stringer did, he would have, I think, found that not to Honorable. be the infinite loss. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And same thing with Omar, just getting shot by some kid in the back of the head at a convenience store. And he would have been okay with dying in a blaze of gunshot. Yeah. Not in just, like, the carryout. Yeah. Okay, so now let's talk about one of the police that believes strongly in, in, the, the, system. in the system and not in any higher ideal, and that's Rawls. Yes. Um, and interestingly enough, so Pascal's wager says that the reasonable, rational person should believe in God. Yes. And Rawls doesn't, and there's a great scene where he says, what am I? A reasonable man. Yeah. Let's watch it. What the fuck can I tell him? Whatever the man wants to hear, Jimmy. Whatever he wants to hear. Prodigal son. Hey, yeah, we got a good shot. There are a couple of cases here. One thing. We're not here to talk cases, McNulty. I don't care about your cases. Sit. Relax. I'm a reasonable guy. In fact, everywhere I go, people say to me, Bill Rawls, you are a reasonable fucking guy. Am I right, Jay? You are reasonable, sir. Yes. Yes, I am. And because your sergeant knows me to be reasonable, he came in here a couple of weeks ago and reasoned with me, right, Jay? Uh, we reasoned. Uh, we did. We reasoned that despite his negligible Irish ancestry and a propensity to talk out of turn, Jimmy McNulty is a good worker. Probably worth saving. Major, I'm not. He's a good little kid, huh? <laughs> do you know what we do here, McNulty? What we do here? <laughs> that was one of them, uh, what do you call it? It's a question you don't really have. To... A rhetorical question. You were being rhetorical. Rhetorical and reasonable, sir. We work murder cases here, detective. We work them as they come in. One at a fucking time. It's called the rotation. You're up till you catch one. When you catch one, you step down, you work it for a while, someone else steps up. It's a simple but effective way to do business in a town that has 250 to 300 cases a year. Yes, sir. But if someone gets it into his head to leave the rotation, it puts an unfair burden on the other detectives who have to pick up their casework. Overworked cops make mistakes. Mistakes lower the unit-wide clearance rate. And that can make someone who is... Uh, Otherwise, as reasonable as me, unreasonable. Detective <laughs> McNulty, I expect to see your ass back here next week when your uh, shift rotates to night work. That's great when. Landsman's like, you are reasonable. Very reasonable. Yeah. Um, and so Rawls, like, really adheres to the structure of the police, and he's, like, one of the company men. 
And he ends up getting everything that he would want in the end. Like, he ends up becoming head of the state troopers. Right. And so, yeah, he, he's happy with juking the stats. He just cares about clearances. He doesn't actually care about the noble thought of solving murders and catching bad guys. He is looking for cases to go from red to black. Yeah. And it's interesting because, for example, when Daniels starts looking like he's going to make rank and he gets in with Carchetti, you know, that is contrasted. Daniels is quite clear to Carchetti that he believes in something bigger and he thinks he can do better. Yeah. But in the end, of the police who experience reward, it is only Rawls. Pretty much. And, like, maybe Stan Balchuk, but... Like, yeah. That's it. But he's another company man. Yeah, he's another company man. Should we talk about Carchetti? Yeah, let's talk about Carchetti. Um, so Carchetti, I would say he wagers um, with the higher ideal. Yes. He thinks that, even though we see him as like kind of sleazy sometimes, he does seem to think and believe that he can change the city and make it better and that a white mayor can happen in Baltimore. Yeah, and he does achieve that. But interestingly enough, he doesn't stick around to see it through. No, he has higher aspirations. He ends up going to be governor. And so the question is, did he really believe in the broad, in something bigger than the system? Or is he truly a company man at heart? Well, it kind of seems like a ploy. Like when we see Carchetti's kind of darker moments... You, it makes you question everything about him, I right. think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And then in the final, you know, we think, okay, yes, this is, this is the guy who wants to fix Baltimore, but then he's ready to leave it for the state house in two years? Yeah. I don't know. Well, and he doesn't really stick with what he says. Like, he promises the police their budget yeah. um, to fix the city, hopefully, but then he ends up diverting all that money to the school instead, and that's because he's thinking about next year's election. Exactly. And so that's very self-interested. So he's doing it for votes, not because he wants the city to be good. Yeah, exactly. Now, the final sort of interesting person to talk about is is Bubbles. Bubbles. Okay. And let's go back to some of Pascal's theory. Yeah, so there's a section here in Pascal's wager where he talks about inability to believe mm-hmm. um, and, and what he says is some cannot believe but they then should at least learn their inability to believe and endeavor then to convince themselves so it says here Pascal addressed the difficulty that reason and rationality pose to genuine belief by proposing that acting as if one believed could cure one of unbelief hmm. and so he writes but at least learn your inability to believe since reason brings you to this, and yet you cannot believe. Endeavor then to convince yourself, not by increase of proofs of God, but by the abatement of your passions. You would like to attain faith and do not know the way. You would like to cure yourself of unbelief and ask the remedy for it. Right. So it's interesting because Bubbles, you know, he makes a few allegories to, you know, he's the one that says there's a thin line between heaven and here when he's in the suburbs. Yeah. Um, and he's presented with lots of reasons to have faith in something bigger. You know, for example, when he finds out Johnny has HIV, 
And then finally, Waylon convinces him to get tested for HIV, and he finds out he is HIV negative. Beyond yeah. all reason, because he said, you and know, Johnny and I shared it. Yeah, so, you know, he's given sort of these signs to believe in something bigger and change, and but he doesn't. Yeah, he won't do it. And so, and he knows that he won't and can't believe in, like, the... Um, like the recovery system of, mm-hmm. of AA or NA, I guess. Um, and so what's interesting is that Pascal says here, of these unbelievers, learn of those who have been bound like you and who now stake all their possessions. These are people who know the way which you would follow and who are cured of an ill of which you would be cured. Huh. And that's exactly bubbles and like around Waylon and all these other um you know, recovering addicts. These are people that show bubbles. Yes, you can believe. Keep working this recovery program and eventually you'll reach that point of belief, which is what Pascal says. Like, you know, wager on the side of pretending to believe until you do. Right. So to me, what comes to mind is that very first NA meeting that he and Johnny attend where they say, does anyone have three months? And nobody gets up. And then, you know, does anyone have 30 days? Nobody yeah. gets up. Does, and then finally they say, does anyone have a day or a real desire? desire to live. Yeah. And Bubbles is the one who gets up and gets the token. Yeah. And then, you know, Johnny kind of ribs him for it. But, you know, again, we see that Bubbles is trying to believe in the system. But that very night... Well, they say they shot off that morning. And yeah. Then, you know. Well, and I mean, he's off the rails for several seasons after that. But yeah, um, yeah, like he does, he wants to believe, but he can't until he like goes through the motions. Mm-hmm. And he's often presented with people who do not believe in him or his ability to change or I guess in this case, believe in something bigger like when McNulty gives him money, having no idea that he'd been sober for days and days and days when Kima is shot. Yeah. And Bubbles kind of tries to tell him, but doesn't. And and McNulty can't even put it in his mind that this might be the case, so he just gives Bubbles money. Yeah. So what do we think here when we're looking at Pascal's wager and the wire? Well, those who believe in the wire are... Not really rewarded. No, not really. There's just a couple. Really, Bunny Colvin is the only one who really bucks the system and wins. Yeah, and I think this just goes with what we've said about the show, is it's a very bleak look at America. Yeah, yeah. And even those who, yeah, kind of go with the flow. Like, I mean, are there really any winners in the show? I mean, the winners are the people, really, that are the cynics. It's like the roles of the show. Marlo, maybe? Marlo, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Not even Prop Joe. No, not Prop Joe. Well, so that's our depressing episode of Rewired Podcast this week. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we'd love to hear what you have to say. You can hit us up on Twitter at Rewired Podcast. 
Or you can email us, podcast.rewired at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. If you have any show ideas, if you have anything you want us to talk about, um, you guys have been so amazing in participating in the polls. Yeah, we're going to keep doing we'll polls. We'll keep doing those. Um, and that's about all. So you can, our, if you like our intro music, it's by Flow Floor, and you can find that on SoundCloud. Uh, and that's all. So we'll see you next time. Way down, Way down, down the, the hole. hole.